0: to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and we are continuing our three week mini series looking at the Lord's Supper and in particular John chapter 6 today. It's really great to see you all here. those of you who know a little bit of church history know that the the early Christians were accused of the most dreadful behaviour. And in the second century in particular, Christians were accused of three crimes. One was atheism, uh, another was incest, and the third was cannibalism. That's quite a list, isn't it? That's quite a list. So why, why were... Christians uh, accused of atheism, it's because they had rejected the gods of Rome. Uh, There were also rumours of incest, and this really came out of the way Christians always talked about Philadelphia, brotherly love, love for our brothers and sisters, and and, and the way Christians greeted each other with a a holy kiss, and this was distorted into uh, an accusation of incestuous type of behaviour. And the third accusation was one of cannibalism, and this is very this is this really jars on us, I know, but but people heard rumours. They heard rumours that that Christians were gathering and they were eating the flesh of the Son of God and drinking His blood, and therefore this rumour of cannibalism grew up, and Christian apologists of the second century had to explain what was really going on. Now, that third charge in particular, as we read John chapter 6, we can see that it might not have been all that surprising, actually, as we look at John chapter 6. Because here, in these words in front of us, Jesus is at his most challenging. And Jesus is at his most confronting in these verses that we are going to look at. In fact, John himself tells us that when people heard these words of Jesus that we are about to study right now, when people heard it, even many of his disciples were repulsed by it and walked away. They turned their back on him, John says, and no longer followed him. So this should be a heads up to us. What we are about to see in the teaching of Jesus is difficult, it is very confronting, but it is also wonderful and eternally important. The context is this. Jesus had just fed 5,000 people from that that little boy's lunch of a few barley loaves and fishes, and the crowds wanted more of it. What did they want more of? By the way, they, that's right. <laughs> they wanted more food. And so they were searching for Jesus and they found him. And Jesus said, I know what you want. You, you've had your fill of, of bread and fish and, and you want more of it. And this, by the way, is still a very big problem within the church that so many come to Jesus not for who he is but for what what he can give to me. And there are many who look to Jesus really just for uh, more health or more prosperity, more success in life. And it was like that back in in the days when Jesus was walking this earth incarnate and Jesus knew the hearts of man. and, And so many came to him just for these material blessings that he could give. And they were completely off the mark. And so here we are in John chapter 6, verse 48, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here, and we can imagine Jesus gesturing to himself at this moment, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. God gave manna to Israel in the desert. It kept them... Alive, physically alive one day at a time, but in the end, they all died. They all perished in the desert. The manna was a type. It was a sign, Jesus says, pointing forward to a future reality. It was pointing forward to him and to his flesh, crucified, torn on the cross, given for the world. So do we hear what, what's going on here? People have come to Jesus. We want more of that food, Jesus. And Jesus says, what you really need is my flesh. Physical food will give you life for a day. My flesh will give you life forever and ever. That's what you really need. And they didn't like to hear it. They didn't like this. They didn't like this. I don't, I don't know what, what you think of it. What Jesus is saying, you really need my flesh. But they certainly didn't like to hear Jesus saying this. Because look there at verse 52. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves How can this man give us his flesh to eat? What's he talking about? We need his flesh. How can he give us his flesh? They didn't understand Jesus. They didn't want to understand Jesus. Now, what is really fascinating to me at this moment, what would you do at this moment if you were Jesus? I mean, I know that's a a terrible question to ask anyone, but if people were saying, Jesus, we don't like to hear you saying, we need your flesh to eat, now, if, if I was Jesus, I'd be saying, no, 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 you, you misunderstand me. You, you, you're getting it all wrong. Let, let, let me um, take away these misapprehensions that you have. In fact, Jesus does quite the opposite. <laughs> he actually raises it, he doubles down, and, and raises the difficulty of what he's saying. Look here, and, and this should be a lesson to us, by the way, Uh, So often, we're dealing with people in the world trying to explain the Christian faith and uh, a a difficulty comes. Someone asks us a difficult problem and our instinct is to try to make them feel better about Christian truth. Our instinct is to try to downplay the the, the difficult things and and, and put a light on the warm and and friendly things. And, and, And Jesus, we don't see him doing this here. He has been confronting. They didn't like it. He becomes more confronting. More confronting. Because look there at verse 53. Then Jesus said to them, Amen, Amen. Why? When does Jesus use that formula, Amen, Amen, which is translated in our NRV, truly I say to you, listen most carefully, to what I'm about to say. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man. Here, he's not backing off. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Again, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. How are you going? Is this making you uncomfortable? Verse 50, he's relentless, he keeps going. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood Remains in me, and I in him. Notice threefold repetition. Whenever something is repeated in the Bible, it's emphatic. But when something is repeated three times, it is most emphatic. And it is preceded with those words, Amen, Amen. We must listen to God the Son here must listen and hang on every word that he is saying. And there's something else about the words of Jesus here that is a little obscured in our English translations. But the first time he talks about uh, eating the flesh of the Son of God, he uses a rather polite word. It's the, 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 the verb esthio. And the Greek society has their, what's it called? The estia festival each year, the food festival. Estio is, is kind of the polite word for, for dining, for eating. The next two times, he uses a rather coarse word, a word that meant to bite and to audibly chew. It was an impolite word for eating. I was listening to a Japanese man explaining how you're supposed to eat udon noodles And he says there's nothing polite about eating udon noodles. He says you've got to eat them when they're hot and and you don't talk to anyone. You know, this is not a social occasion. It's not uh, you and the family. No, you eat them quickly and noisily, he said. That's part of it, part of the enjoyment of it. And it's this kind of noisy, impolite eating that it's the word that Jesus uses here. Unless you eat... Chomp, chew, devour. The Son of God, you have no life in you. Verse 57, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who eats me, that's what it is literally, the one who eats me will live because of me. This, and he's gesturing to himself, I'm sure, here. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who eats this bread will live forever. This is difficult. This is confronting. It is meant to be confronting. If you are feeling uncomfortable right now, you are hearing Jesus because he did not mean to make you feel comfortable. He meant to change your life. He meant to transform your life. He didn't want to smooth the, the pillow here for you. He's putting a bomb under us here for our good. He doesn't want us to feel comfortable for a day. He wants us to live for eternity. That's why he's saying, uh, saying these, these hard words to us. Now we are used to, to eating metaphors, aren't we? We use them all the time. Food metaphors. In 2017, we had a theology taster. Do you remember that the theology taster? A concert may be described, if it's a classical music concert, as a musical feast. Have you often heard that? A musical feast. We devour books. We binge on Netflix. We chew over big decisions. We swallow propaganda. We digest information. We spew hatred and anger. We use food and eating metaphors all the time. And here, Jesus is telling us that we must devour him. We must must feast on him and devour him. Jesus is not like the waiter coming to the table with a bottle of wine and saying, have a sip of this and see whether you like it. No, he's saying, you must take me and feast on me and devour me. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the Russian dissident. I don't know if any of you have read his, his wonderful books, but in one of them called The, the First Circle, he talks about a gulag in Moscow. I didn't know there were gulags, those, those prison camps in the city of Moscow, but there was one. And he describes how the prisoners were always, always hungry, never quite had enough food. One day, the authorities send a delegation inspectors to inspect the prison conditions. The prison governor, knowing that the inspectors are coming, gives the prisoners a special meal, a chicken dinner, so, so that the inspectors will come and say, wow, these prisoners are well-fed, look, they're eating a chicken dinner for lunch. And so they come into the room, the prisoners are there, and they're eating the chicken, but there's a flaw in the plan, something doesn't go to plan. Because the prisoners don't just eat the chicken meat, but they're eating the gristle and they're eating the bones of the chicken even. They're crunching and munching the bones because they are so hungry and this is more food than they've seen. And so the prison governor's plan to impress the inspectors backfires because why are they eating the bones of the chicken? You must not be feeding them properly. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying you must take me, you must feast on me, devour me. let must take hold of him and take him into ourselves is what Jesus is saying. Now this means taking for ourselves all that Jesus is. Some people say, "Look, I'm happy to accept Jesus as a wise man, but I don't want to think of him as a savior." No, we must take Him as a wise man and a savior. Some people say, "I oh, will take him as a savior, but I'm not going to make him my master." To devour the Son of God is to take Him for all that He is. wise the Saviour, and the Master. I've heard some many people say, I'll accept Jesus as Saviour, Master, but not God. But Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my... Unless you take me all, all that I am, my deity is a critical part of that. You cannot... A person who rejects the deity of Christ, the the Godness of Jesus, (laughs) is not... Feasting on him the way he commands us to. And to feast on Jesus means taking for ourselves all that he has done. There are some people who who will say, well, I'll I'll listen to the teaching of Jesus, but I'm not really interested in his miracles. Others say, well, yeah, I, I accept his miracles, but I'm not sure about this atoning sacrifice on the cross this death for others, I'm not not sure about that. And there are those who say, well, yes, I accept that he was a great teacher, he did remarkable things, he died on the cross, but I cannot accept that he rose from the dead in three days. But to feast on Christ is to take all that he has done, all of it, all his teaching, all his miracles, his death on the cross, his resurrection, we take it all We don't leave one part aside. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, said Jesus, has eternal life. Feasting on Christ means taking all the implications of his death. Now, let me explain what I mean by this. Just after Jesus died, what happened? John tells us about this. A soldier came with a spear, and they put the spear in Jesus' sight, into his heart, and witnesses saw what? A sudden flow of blood, we expect the blood, but water as well, water and blood, and, and I've heard doctors give very good explanations of, of, of what may have been going on medically, but John's interest isn't medical, it's Spiritual, theological. And when John tells us that from the side of the crucified Jesus came water and blood, he wants you to know that the death of Jesus didn't just pay for your sins, that's the blood, didn't just pay the penalty for your sins, that's the blood, but that there was water which washes us clean. You see, to to take Jesus is not just to take him as the one who stood in your place on the cross and, and took the penalty so that you don't have to go to hell. But he died to wash us clean, to make us new, new birth, renovation, a new heart, hearts of stone replaced with a heart of flesh. Jesus didn't just come to give us a ticket to heaven and a ticket out of hell. But he came to make us new men and women, boys and girls. To renew us and to make us all that God created us to be. And so to to eat the Son of Man, to drink his blood, as Jesus says, is to take all of his saving work. It's not just I'm not going to hell anymore. But he wants to make me new, to renovate me, to give me a new heart, a new life, a new direction, a new way of thinking, a new way of life. That's what we take when we feast on the Son of Man. <coughs> to devour Jesus means also to take him into yourself, his presence into yourself, his person into yourself, into your heart, into your life. Remember in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, he said, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So to to feast on Christ is to say, I want him and all that he is and all that he's done and all that his salvation means and I want him within me. I want to be a home for Christ, a temple for the Son of God. Remember, What the first Christians saw on that day of Pentecost, in the Old Testament, fire—the symbol of God—fire on the mountain, symbolizing God's presence. On the day of Pentecost, the fire was on the heads of each and every Christian. God is present within each and every Christian. That's the symbolism of of that Pentecostal fire that fell on the heads. God was on the mountain. He was in the temple. Now he dwells in the hearts of his people. To devour Christ is to want that. To feast on Jesus is to want that, is to take him into your heart as a living presence, directing you, guiding you, challenging you, comforting you. That's what the Christian wants. Christianity It's not an ethical thing. It's not a cultural designation. It's about Jesus living within us, in our hearts, and he changes everything. And it's not only when we devour Christ, it's not only taking Jesus within us, it's putting ourselves within him, Look finally at verses 56 and 57. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me hear what Jesus is saying? He said, I live because, it's astonishing to hear the Son of God say that he is dependent on anything or anyone, but he's saying, I live because the Father is in me. And you will live. Whoever feeds on me will live because of me, because I will be in you the same way I live because the Father is in me, you will live because I will be within you. How are you responding this morning to the teaching of Jesus? I, I am so thankful to him that he's not left me in peace and comfort, but he comes and he shakes me. And I hope he's sh- shaken you this morning with these words. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of God and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I hope that's shaken you. It's meant to shake you. He means it, he wants to change you. And I hope that every person here today will hear those words and say, Yes, Jesus, I do. I want a feast on you. I I want all of you, all that you've done, all that you are, all that your saving work means. I don't just want not to go to hell. I want to be changed from the inside out. I want that new heart. I want to be renovated. I want a new life and a new direction. That's what it means to devour Christ. And I hope you want that. And I hope that you will not be satisfied to think of Jesus as being up there. Because he says, I want to be in there, in your heart. That's where I want to live, in your hearts. Take me into yourself. And I will direct you, comfort you, guide you, empower you, and make everything different and you need to be in me, says Jesus. I need to be in my Father, he said, and you need to be in me to take that that life that only comes from me. One of the most important ways in which we express this kind of faith that Jesus talks about, eating the flesh of the Son of God and drinking his blood, one of the most important ways by which we can express that is at the Lord's table. This meal that Jesus gave us expresses exactly what he meant in John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is not about communion, I believe. I don't think in John chapter 6 he is teaching us the meaning of communion, but I think that communion is about John chapter 6. I hope that makes sense. I don't think here he's giving us instructions about the Lord's Supper, but the Lord's Supper, sure as certain, captures everything that Jesus is saying here. And so in a moment, we'll come to the Lord's table together. Thanks, physicians.